Welcome to the Someone Somewhere podcast. It's Thursday, May 27th, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode 46. This episode is brought to you by Polycultured, our farm resources blog. We create informative content about a variety of topics, including organic agriculture, composting, seed saving, herbalism, permaculture strategies, and more. If you enjoy this content, please support us by going to www.patreon.com polycultured. I've been raising chickens for about six years, and I've grown to absolutely love these animals. Starting out with just four chicks, we grew our flock to almost two dozen, and we were able to incubate and breed our own bloodline along the way. Chickens are incredibly versatile creatures, and they can be quite hands-off to take care of, but they're still very fragile. Chickens have tons of animal predators, and we're just one of them, so chickens have presented lots of creative problems to solve as you learn to care for them, how to keep them secure and keep them healthy. Part of that learning curve became about how to facilitate new life from fertilized eggs and how to care for our new chicks so they grow up strong. Over the years, I've worked to educate people on chickens and chicken breeding and had good success inspiring others to get their own coops. During these conversations, people have said to me that they thought you needed a rooster for chickens to lay eggs. But in reality, chickens will lay about an egg a day whether or not a rooster is present. However, it's the rooster who determines whether or not those eggs will be fertilized. Once a rooster starts crowing, he's about the age where he'll learn to start mounting the hens, and the eggs will be able to turn into tiny chicks in just three weeks. This episode will cover the basics of using an incubator to hatch new chicks and how to care for them so that you get them to the adult stage and get your eggs, meat, or compost from them. Let's start at the beginning, which is basically at chicken puberty. If you want to know about chicken hormones, you can listen to episode 4, all about chicken hormones from a chicken farmer. Now, if your rooster has begun crowing, which is the origin of the cock-a-doodle-doo sound, he'll likely use some signature dance moves to try to impress the hens including the wing drop drag and dancing in a circular motion around her. He'll also make a specific call to tell her that there's food nearby and then try and mount her, which is basically a process of piggybacking while balancing himself and holding onto the hen's neck feathers, known as treading. If the hen is into it, she'll squat for the rooster. And after that, he tries to basically kiss his cloaca to hers, known as the cloacal kiss, as chickens do not have penises. If you look at the back end of a rooster or a hen, they essentially look the same, with one single vent. This is where they poop from, and also where an egg comes out of. This is also where the male genitalia is located inside the rooster. This cloacal kiss allows him to transfer his sperm to her and fertilize the eggs for several days. As each new yolk passes through the hen's reproductive tract, it will pick up sperm from a small sack along the way, thereby fertilizing it. Hens are even known to expel the sperm of inferior roosters and take an active role in choosing the genetic material they want to fertilize. Ideally, you want one of your hens to go broody if you want them to follow their natural instincts and raise baby chicks on their own. We don't know exactly what makes a hen go broody, but science tells us it's a combination of hormones, instincts, and age of maturity. Signs of a broody hen include staying in her nest all day, being territorial over the nest by puffing her feathers and squawking, as well as pecking and biting if you try and disturb her. She'll even go as far as to peck out her own breast feathers to make more heat-conductive nests for the eggs. 
But in the meantime, or in the event that your hen doesn't do this, I'll start by giving you information on how we've incubated several hatches of chicks in a small incubator we bought online. They range in egg capacity as well as, well as whether or not you'll turn the eggs three times a day or if the machine will auto-turn those eggs for you, in which case you don't have to do anything except gradually turn the temperature down and check the humidity throughout the incubation period. Chicken egg gestation is 21 days, exactly three weeks, and other waterfowl, or fowl in general, have different gestations and incubation requirements, which you can easily find the specifics for online. Successful incubation for eggs have two main atmospheric components, temperature and humidity. These components change as the incubation process ensues, slowly getting cooler and getting more humid right up to the hatch period, which is just a few days before the expected hatch. For example, with chickens, days 1 through 7 are 38.2 degrees Celsius or 100.8 degrees Fahrenheit, with a humidity of 50%. Days 8 through 15 is 38 degrees Celsius or 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit, with a humidity of 50%. Days 15 through 18 is 37.8 degrees Celsius or 100 degrees Fahrenheit with a humidity of 55%. And then the hatch period where you stop turning the eggs is days 19 through 21, and you lower the incubator once again to 37.5 degrees Celsius or 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit, and you increase the humidity to 65%, usually by adding more water to the bottom of the incubator. Turning the eggs two to three times daily by rolling them and flipping them over will ensure healthy development and mobility of the embryo. And this is why auto turners are really useful for incubation because otherwise you have to really pay attention. At about one week's time, you can candle your eggs, which is really just using a bright flashlight. I recommend the one, you know, that's on your cell phone. And you can look inside the shell and see if an embryo is developing. Usually you can see veins starting to form on the inside of the egg, as well as sometimes even a swimming embryo or dark spot on what looks like the yolk. Dud eggs, which were not fertilized, will show nothing but a ring that represents the yolk inside the egg undeveloped. Eventually the chick will form to a point where the egg will become entirely opaque and you, you really won't be able to see the light coming through uh, the candle anymore, or the eggshell rather. You continue adjusting the temperature and humidity until day 18. This is where you shut off the auto-turner or stop turning the eggs so they can get into their own position to hatch. You also want to make sure to keep the eggs properly separated from one another so they have enough room to hatch. And on day 21, pipping of the eggs should begin, which is a small hole that will be poked out by the chick with its beak, and it will begin breathing and chirping to alert the other chicks that they can safely begin their journey together. Uh, the main point here is do not disturb the egg while it's hatching, even if the chick does not make it all the way out. Typically, out of 10 eggs, 7 will begin to hatch, and 5 will make it out of the egg. So you can expect a 50% or less hatch rate from the eggs that you start with. Remember that you don't know if everyone is fertilized or if that the conditions were right for the hatch in the incubator. After the hatch, the chicks can remain in the incubator to relax and dry off. You can remove the eggshells. 
They're usually extremely tired from their trip out of the egg for the first two days of their life. They actually don't need any food or water because they're really soaking up the last bit of the yolk that nourishes them. And these first few days are usually the most precarious days of a chick's life. If they look to be struggling, you can use an eyedropper to feed them a mix of water, honey or sugar, uh, spirulina, chlorella, which is uh, dried seaweed. And this can sometimes stimulate a chick to survive um, and give them probiotics, some sugar, and some minerals as well. So congratulations, you've hatched your baby chicks. They're very cute and very fluffy and very demanding. Uh, There's a few basic needs that must be prepared for chicks before they hatch, so make sure to organize these before you start your incubation. First, you'll need a brooder, uh, which is some form of an enclosure for the chicks that's safe from predators, uh, some bedding material, and a heating lamp of some kind to keep them warm. You'll also need a shallow water pan and a feeder pan. Brooders can be any kind of cage, even starting with a large cardboard box or a plastic bin would work. Um, I like to line the brooder box with newspaper or paper towel to make it easier to really clean up because you're basically rolling up that under layer. Um, And then you'll want to outfit the brooder with hay or pine shavings. So make sure that you don't use cedar shavings, sand, wood chips, or sawdust. Um, And that ensures the health of your baby chick's respiratory system. So really, you just want to focus on hay or straw or pine shavings. Brooders need to be checked on frequently, at least three times a day, but up to six times a day in their first days of life. They're very vulnerable at that time. Now that you've got your brooder box set up, your baby chicks need a steady source of heat for the first few weeks. You'll want the brooder to be around 90 5 degrees Fahrenheit or 35 degrees Celsius for the first week, and then you can lower it to 90 degrees Fahrenheit or 32 degrees Celsius for the second week until you get down to room temperature at about four to six weeks. Keeping a thermometer in the brooder helps you monitor the temperature, and you'll want to position your brooder uh, light in one corner of the box so that chicks can self-monitor their own heat, moving closer and further from the heat source as they please. Temperatures should stay stable, as wild fluctuations in temperature can be fatal on either end. I prefer an infrared 250-watt bulb and a clamp light because red-spectrum light is less disruptive than white light. And there are also brooder heat plates, which are more energy efficient than a clamp light or a a bulb, and uh, also less dangerous than bulb heat lights. So that's a decision that you can make as well, an investment in incubating. You really only have to buy it once, and you could, you know, infinitely continue breeding chickens with it. For the first day, you'll want to heat the chick's water up to 98 degrees or very warm. The birds are really small, and if they drink too cool of water, it can actually rapidly reduce their body temperature and lessen their chance of survival. So... Back to the incubator after about 24 hours in there, or when the birds look fully dry and like super fluffy, you can scoop them up with your hand and hold their head between your fingers and just take them and dip the chick's beak into that warm water and then place them down. And if they look up and start swallowing, that's how you'll know that they're drinking and they're understanding the idea of drinking. And so from there, you can put them in the brooder. 
Now, talking about water, water must always be immediately available for baby chicks. And it's a good idea to invest in a chick waterer and a chick feeder so that your brooder can stay as clean as possible. Um, They tend to use their feet for things. So food really moves all over the place. So the waterer and the feeder attempt to kind of keep that reined in a little bit. If you want to go the DIY route, which I do often, I recommend a shallow pan, such as a container lid that's flipped upside down. Um, I'll also put small pebbles in the water pan to weigh it down so it can't flip over, and also to prevent the chicks from drowning when they're that small. So the water will need to be filled more than once a day, just because of the evaporation from the brooder heat lamp. And the water should generally be positioned away from the direct heat for this reason. So probably in the opposite corner of the brooder. You also need to sanitize the water frequently so that um, you can prevent bacterial infection or poop from getting in the water. So it's just important to make sure that it, it gets cleaned at some point. Now, what do you feed these baby chicks? I prefer to make my own baby chick mix. This includes two parts organic hullless oats, one parts organic wheat, two parts organic split green peas, one part shelled organic sunflower seed, one part organic fish meal, half part organic kelp, and two tablespoons of brewer's yeast. You can grind these ingredients together in a spice grinder or a food processor and keep a bin by the brooder to refill the feeder. I also like to boil eggs and chop them up, shell and all, but boiled eggs should be removed from the brooder after about two hours to prevent any mold issues from getting in the bottom of the brooder. As your chicks grow for a few weeks, they're able to play with more fresh greens like lettuces and vegetables, and you can also feed your baby chicks herbs to stimulate their immune system, such as nettle, ginger, garlic, basil, thyme, calendula, oregano, and parsley. If you want to spice up their water for extra support, I like to add a touch of honey and apple cider vinegar as well. For these reasons, I avoid using medicated feed and I don't seem to have bacterial problems. If you notice one chick mysteriously dies, you want to remove it and feed the other chicks one tablespoon of yogurt or kefir with live probiotics. You may also want to consider raising mealworms as a protein source for your chicks. This is done by ordering mealworms online and providing them a secure box to grow and reproduce in. It takes very little effort and it's a great addition to your chick's diet. Food and water should be constantly available to chicks. Their bedding should never get wet and they themselves shouldn't get wet either. In terms of space per chick, you want about half a square foot per chick when they hatch. For example, 50 chicks could comfortably start in a 5x5 box or 25 square feet. As they get older and larger, they'll need to be transitioned into larger secure cages and begin getting outside for periods of time. So think about how many chicks you'll be starting with and how many you'll be expecting to scale up as they grow. At about 4 weeks old, you'll want to make space of about 3 to 4 square feet per bird. And you'll also want to increase the number of feeders and waterers so that everyone can eat and drink comfortably. You'll also want to create roosting space for them at this time, which is basically making poles for them to sit and perch on. Birds can also enjoy ranging outside on warm, sunny days with proper shade uh, and beware of aerial and ground predators in your area. Now I'm going to speak on assessing chicks for behavior and their health. 
In regards to heat, water, or food, chicks will become very loud and screechy. If you hear this sound, don't ignore it because your chicks are trying to tell you something. You might ask yourself, are the chicks huddled around the light or are they all at the opposite corner of the box from the light? So this would tell you whether they're too cold or too hot and need their temperature adjusted. This might mean moving the light in some way to uh, modify it so that it's more in that temperature range that they are comfortable with. Also look and see, are they lethargic or full of energy? It's not uncommon for day-old baby chicks to take naps like a puppy would, but if you start to notice a closed eye or a droopy wing, they likely are struggling and are in need of attention. If you see bloody stool, weakness, no interest in food or water, a pale comb, decreased growth, ruffled and fluffed feathers, these are all signs of coccidiosis, a bacterial infection that can kill chickens very quickly. Immediately add apple cider vinegar, garlic, and honey to their water and offer them small amounts of yogurt. If you catch it early enough, chicks can survive this infection, but you must act swiftly to avoid fatality. Another thing you might see is often referred to as pasty butt, where bird poop sticks to their back ends, to their vent. You want to soak a cloth with warm water and place it gently on their butt uh, until that piece of poop can actually soften, and then you want to gently remove it without tugging at their skin, which can cause injury. I've used scissors for this before, but I wouldn't recommend it because their skin is so leathery and sensitive. Like, so if you're pulling at little baby feathers, it can just be really kind of scary. You don't want to cut them. Uh, chicks are also very playful and they enjoy human interaction. So you might place your hands inside the brooder frequently and that'll acclimate your chicks to you. You can feed them fruit or bugs or veggies and you can bring them sticks to jump on and play with. Uh, you can even sort of hang vegetables with twine to make it a little harder for them and they'll have to jump. Um, and that will provide, you know, enrichment for them uh, so they don't get bored. And really when your chicks are ready to go outside, you can transition them to a properly secured coop and run. And once they're able to be on more than one range space, they tend to grow even faster. You know, once they actually get outside, they all of a sudden they they really pick up steam. And so you essentially have the same potential problems with adult chickens that you have with baby chicks, except that chicks are just that much more vulnerable. Uh, raising chicks, you know, all the way to chickens really allows you to go through the process of dealing with all kinds of chicken-related issues, and that prepares you, in my opinion, to be a good chicken steward. If you want to know why I love using chickens on my permaculture farm, you can listen to episode 26, Permaculture Farming with Chickens. I hope you learned some things about proper chicken incubation and how to raise baby chicks. At first, they do need lots of time and attention, just like any other baby animal, really. But I found that once you get your processes down and you have all the necessary equipment, it's actually very easy to continuously breed and raise chickens for eggs and for meat. And it's something that very small units of people, whether it's families, uh, individuals, small collectives, or small villages... Um, this is something that you can do to provide for yourselves and those around you with minimal effort and impactful rewards. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe, and comment to let me know how I'm doing. This episode is brought to you by Polycultured, our farm resources blog. 
we're bringing you info on backyard food production and sustainable living on small plots and in urban areas. If you enjoy this content, please support us by going to www.patreon.com slash polycultured. This concludes episode 46 of the Someone Summer podcast. Good night.